Gagan and you're listening to the Voice of Insurance podcast, produced in association with Advantage Go. Release your underwriters to underwrite with Advantage Go's underwriting platform. Aster is the largest third-party manager of Lloyd's syndicates by quite a long way. As such, today's guest, Lorraine Harfit, CEO of Aster, almost certainly has a better view of what types of new business entrepreneurs and major insurers alike are looking to set up. She also has the best view of Lloyd's changing appetites around what type of businesses it's looking to allow into and keep out of the marketplace. So this podcast is a great temperature gauge on the Lloyd's and wider international insurance and reinsurance markets. I'm happy to report that I found Lorraine full of optimism and enthusiasm, with a long and diverse pipeline of business in prospect on many fronts, be it new syndicates in boxes, captive syndicates, traditional syndicates, other alternative vehicles, or MGAs. As Lorraine puts it, there's always a fear that the appeal of the Lloyds and London market may one day wane. On this showing, there's no evidence of this happening anytime soon. Lorraine is an industry professional of vast experience, who has worked her way from the Lloyds policy signing office in Chatham all the way up into the heart of the market. She knows this business inside and out, and she's great company. And this podcast is packed with lots of really nuanced observations. I highly recommend a listen. Enjoy the podcast. So Lorraine, welcome to The Voice of Insurance. Thank you, Mark. It's a privilege to be here. You're relatively new in your role. So why don't you tell us a bit about yourself and your career to date? Absolutely. I guess like most people, insurance was never my dream career at school. And what I actually decided I wanted to do was be a teacher. But those plans kind of went awry when I spent a summer doing an internship at the local bank, was then offered a role with them, and that kind of set me off on a different path. I then moved down. So that was in Scotland, moved down here when I got married and ended up moving from banking to insurance because Lloyd's was a big local employer. So I ended up going to work for them and making that switch from banking to insurance. Lloyd's was a local employer? In Chatham in Kent. Oh, wow. Um, So so yeah, moved moved from Scotland to Kent and big building. At that point, there was something like 1,200 people worked and Lloyd's Chatham, LPSO, exchanging all of that. Yeah, I better say that that is the Lloyd's policy signing office, which is what would now be, it's still called exchanging, probably, but DXE, mm. people would know it as DXE, i.e. the processing centre for Lloyd's premiums, which is now the processing centre for all of the London market premiums having merged about 20 years ago. But there you go. So I'm always on a mission to get rid of abbreviations or at least explain what they are. So that's really interesting. So that's who you, you yeah, came from so, Chatham. So came from there, was working in Lloyd's and was then lured up to London on the members agency side. So I came up here initially to work for Alston Brockbank. Mm agencies yep. and Mark Rockbank and, and things. So it came up, but that was all about looking after members of Lloyd's. Wow. And stayed there for about 14 years through various mergers and acquisitions. And well, lived, lots of mergers and acquisitions. Uh, absolutely. I think members agents went from something like 130 of them down to three yes. um, by the time I left. So it was, yeah, huge kind of consolidation. Because it's almost everybody had their own members agent at one point, didn't they? Yes, almost every syndicate had its own members agent that looked after some of them only looked after 10 or 15 names and, and others crazy, had a lot. So yeah, it was kind of crazy. No, it was certainly right for consolidation, wasn't yeah. it? And, uh, and that's been fairly static. That trio has been static for a long time now. Yes. It? I mean, I think that's probably about 15 years ago, longer than that, 18 years ago, I left there and it was three then and it's still the same three now. So, And obviously with us, there have been changes. Actually, how did you get to Asta? 
we need to clear that so, up first. Yeah, so working in the members agency lived through all sorts of interesting things like R&R and kind of Equitas and corporate members and things like that, which did result in that consolidation, much fewer members, much less members agents, yeah. and ended up moving back to Lloyd's but in London this time. And just one of those things of kind of opportune timing, I guess, I ended up getting involved in the ICAS regime and establishing that at Lloyd's. That led to solvency too. And yep. then that led to kind of me being asked to lead the market implementation of that, which was fantastic opportunity. Everybody hated solvency too, but knew they had to do it. And we just tried to make it easy, as easy for the market as we could. We had to run lots of stories about traffic lights and then who was on amber and who was on red and who was on green and whatever else. It got quite complicated. It got quite competitive, the ratings and how they were applied and who wanted to be able to tell the board they'd moved from red to amber or... And what did ICAS stand for? That was the, the risk-based capital. Yes, kind of individual capital adequacy. Um, scheme? Scheme, I think that was it. I'll put that one in the notes if I can remember. <laughs> yes. And R&R was reconstruction renewal. Reconstruction that was the, and the Lloyd's big reforms where corporate capital came in. Uh, this is post-formation of Equitas, which probably was signed off in 96, wasn't it, for 92 it and prior years? It was for 92 years. and prior years. Yeah, that's where the modern Lloyd's that we know today really kind of was born. Exactly. And really, after kind of finishing that Solvency 2 project, there wasn't an obvious next kind of role for me, particularly within Lloyd's. There hasn't been Solvency 3 There yet. hasn't been, no. I think that would be too much for everybody, wouldn't it? <laughs> but yeah, the offer from Asta was one of those things that came along at just the right time in terms of wondering what's next. So I joined Asta pretty much 10 years ago, September 2013. And then how long have you been in the CEO role? Only a year just a little bit less than a year. So I joined initially in a regulatory role, then moved into the COO role fairly quickly and did that for about seven years, then took on an MD role as Julian was beginning to do more group and wider group activity yeah. and then took over as CEO just under a year ago. Excellent. So all still quite new. Yeah, new. And what else is new is I came into your building this morning. I got my security pass like I always do, but it didn't say Aster, it said Davies. And so that's a new ownership. Does that change anything about Asta at all? Obviously, Asta has been through change of ownership in the past, yeah. and nothing seemed to have changed. No. So last time we went through a change of ownership, we did a big rebrand. So previous to that was Whittington. And in 2012, we kind of rebranded as Asta, and yeah. that was the last change of ownership we had. The Davies deal completed in July last year. And so apart from the obvious, which you saw as you came in the building and a lot of Davies branding and logos and things around, it doesn't feel like day-to-day -day things have really changed. Because they're in the same sort of business as you are as well. That they're in the yes, so business. a big chunk of Davies. I mean, Davies are pretty well known in the market for the claims side, but yeah. the insurance solutions part of the business does a lot of similar things and is very involved with the Lloyd's market. So it's not a completely kind of strange merger or, or, or acquisition for them. It's really broadening their platform. And is it bringing more resource to you, that kind of thing? It's definitely bringing more access to different skills that we didn't have in-house. And I think it's also offering more to our clients, potentially. Davies have got big back office outsourcing type functions. So that's really useful, particularly for new clients as they're building up. But they've got things like consulting and tech division. And, you know, that's really good for us as we're trying to innovate and keep up with what's going on in the market. So you've been at Asta for 10 years. You've been in the market for much longer. And I suppose Asta's really good its finger on the pulse because you're perhaps the first gatekeeper of, of Lloyd's because you're the major service provider for turnkey admission into the marketplace. So I would imagine that your new entrance business development team 
are in everyone's Rolodex. Everyone is talking to them. If they have an idea and they want to do something at Lloyd's, I can't imagine that they wouldn't talk to you. They'd be sort of crazy not to talk to you first. There are other service providers available, but I think you would have to be on the list of people that would talk to. So you see a huge rainbow of different opportunities. Knowing that, what's the mood music at the moment in terms of new entrants at Lloyd's? You know what Lloyd's is looking for. What would it see as attractive and accretive to the market in a new business? So how's that changing? Obviously, because we've got a changing market. Yeah. So I think definitely the appetite has changed recently. So I think Lloyd's went through a focus of kind of remediation on existing businesses and it became more difficult, more challenging. They had less appetite. Go away and leave us alone. We're kind of looking after what we've got at the moment. A bit. And it's quite difficult to try and remediate one business who's writing something, but then allow a new entrant to come in and write the same stuff. So I think that exercise (laughs) had to be completed. There were some new entrants in that phase. And I think Lloyd's has now moved much more into a growth phase, definitely have appetite for growth. Innovation, I mean, we we keep talking about this word accretive. So everything says if you're going to come in and be a new entrant, it has to be accretive. And I think what is accretive changes over time. And it depends on some of the existing players in the market, you know, what's there, what's already growing, what isn't. Because sometimes it could just be doing the same thing, but in a new geography. Exactly. So it could be geography. It could be distribution methods. A lot of things have been over the last couple of years tech-based, but we're seeing softer stuff coming through as well now, particularly on ESG and things like that, potential syndicates that yeah. are focusing on, you know, be it carbon credit, carbon offset, whatever. So real kind of ESG related things as well. So what out of those are you most excited about? Do you think these are really going to fly or these are the things that you know we really want to get behind that we're going to put a lot of resource behind and we think these are going to be our winners of the next few years sorry to interrupt in mid-flow but this is just a reminder that you could be advertising right here right now and getting your message directly into the ear of key decision makers in the insurance industry and you'll be doing it while they're absolutely in listening mode the voice of insurance has just run through 300,000 downloads If each of those had had a 60-second ad in them, that would make 83 hours of talking to the industry for a fraction of the cost of alternative media. The podcast is the medium of the future, and so is audio advertising. Contact me on mark at thevoiceofinsurance.com, and I'll do everything I can to get you started. I mean, there's three fundamental things we look at when we look at any new entrant, and that is plan, people, and capital. So the plan has got to make sense. It's got to be a sensible business plan. For Lloyd's, it has to obviously be a profitable business plan and with a good chance of that being kind of sustainable profit and growth and things like that. The people part is really important. I think at Asta, we're very proud of the culture we have here and we want to build those relationships with clients and you know turn those into proper working relationships. So the people that we're going to be working with is quite important. Does that mean they have to have been around the block a few times before? No, I I don't think it's that at all. So I think it really is. How do they approach the process? You know, how do they engage with us in the first place? And it's not criteria around diversity or experience or whatever. It's just a lot of the people stuff is quite a gut feel as well, isn't it? The right school and they've already been in Lloyd Syndicate for twenty years and they want to do their own one. It's certainly not like that anymore. That maybe thirty years ago we might have had that impression. Yeah, and I think there's lots of different things kind of make that relationship work lots of different dimensions to the people side of things. So I think experience definitely gives people credibility with Lloyd's. 
But I think more and more we're seeing, and particularly under the syndicate in a box framework, we're seeing more and more people kind of coming into the market and interested in getting into the market that don't have that experience and don't have that knowledge. So it's far more of a sort of incubatory type environment where you might yeah. see sort of what we would, we would have called in short text, those sort of businesses. Yeah. Or similar sort of even more entrepreneurial style businesses. Yes. And I think Syndicate in a Box has been particularly attractive to small MGAs and things like that as they've grown and decide they want to put their own capital in, be more in control of their own destiny and things like that. Obviously, as, as being, you know, prime sponsor of those syndicates in boxes, now that that regime's matured somewhat, so it was all very new when it started, of course, and they've been done before. What's your verdict on it? I mean, you know, has it been successful, do you think? It's certainly got people's attention. I think it has been successful. We have five at the moment. Yeah. And then we had one who transitioned to a full syndicate. So Carbon transitioned. That was Carbon, because yeah, I had them yes. on the show a couple and, of years ago. And that's ago. a great example of that lifestyle. They were an MGA. They came in as a syndicate in a box. They're now a full syndicate. We've got five others. I think there is only sort of one or two others in the market. So we've certainly got the bulk of them here. I think it has been attractive. I think when Lloyd's first launched it, everybody perhaps thought there would be more. Mm -hmm. So to only have seven or eight in the market in total doesn't seem like a big number. There's quite a lot of entities. And I suppose they do have the potential to grow very quickly once they scale. Absolutely. So the framework means they come in with a fairly fixed three-year business plan, and that's quite controlled, measured around KPIs and things like that. I think the interesting thing for us will be, so the five that we have at the moment, those are all in their second year of trading. So I think as they come to that third year, and that's the sort of trigger point for a decision, you know, can they transition into a full syndicate? Do they have the scale or the business plan to do that? And I think it will be interesting as to what Lloyd's appetite is for them to remain as a syndicate in a box. They might have a great business plan, but just not the scale. And there's some things that could be so niche that they're just never necessarily going to have the scale to be a full syndicate. They could always stay in the box. Yes. So I think it'd be interesting yeah. to see if people choose to stay in the box and how long they're allowed yeah. to stay in the box. Yeah. Because that's not really the intention of the syndicate in the box. It's that you'll jump out of the box at some point. It's kind of meant to be a quick succeed, quick fail framework. It doesn't work out, but you gave it a good go and you sail off quietly into the distance <laughs> or you transition and become that full syndicate. Quick succeed, quick fail. No, slow, do sort of okay forever. It's not as exciting, is it? And it's not what it was intended <laughs> for. But yeah, at the same time, if Lloyd's would like innovation and different things in the market, sometimes doing that, some of those newer things, and we found this with new clients that we have regularly, where it's something new, it's a slower burn. It takes more time to get traction, to get momentum and things like that. The newer something is, the harder it can be. If you know it's going to succeed, it's just not quite happening yet, but you feel you still have a good yeah. gut feel that it's yeah. going to get traction yeah. eventually. And, and we're just give, a bit Give ahead them of another three year box term. Yeah. Do you think it's been flexible enough? Because obviously, these things, the battle plan never survives the first shots of war, does it? You know, particularly with something that's trying to be iterative. Yeah. Has they been allowed to iterate enough? I think so. I mean, I think Lloyd's have been finding their way with the framework in the same way that we have and that the syndicate in the box themselves have. And I think. It feels like we've been working collaboratively on it and trying to make sure that that model remains because it's not the once and done thing. It's got to evolve, hasn't it? Because yeah, you've got and, to learn a lot. and you know, I assume it's now a permanent option for smaller entities to get an entrance into the market. It's been interesting for Asta as well because we've been used to dealing with big syndicates, kind of full syndicates. So dealing with the larger number of small clients is quite a different thing to dealing with fewer big clients. And that's been an interesting exercise for us as well in terms of how we adapt our style. 
And hopefully there's been lots of lessons learned coming out of that economies of scale we've been able to apply there that we can then translate back across the rest of our client portfolio. Back on the big picture of the mood music, you said it's planned people and capital. Obviously, we're in an environment where capital is more important than it has been because obviously over the previous decade, there have been tons of it lying around everywhere and everyone's been able to get hold of capital. Everyone's been complaining there's far too much capital lying around and they're giving it to all the wrong people and obviously you know, having a difficult and overly competitive marketplace. But now capital's really come into its own. We haven't had huge amounts of capital raising. We've got potential capital shortages. So within that mood music, if someone comes with maybe not the most exciting business plan, but lots of capital, are they more welcome than they would have otherwise been? just because of the state of the market, because a lot of incumbents are not finding it that easy to raise capital, some comes with very nice, clean dollar bills, does that make them better looking than they were before? It doesn't to us. I think all three of those things have got to work and kind of putting capital behind a bad plan or a plan that we're not convinced on. Good capital and a bad person with a good plan doesn't work either. Exactly. (laughs) I think you've got to have that mix. But I do think capital, it's the one thing that perhaps they don't think about at startup. So, you know, you get the right team in place, you get the right plan in place, and then capital is often an afterthought. And we've definitely seen examples in the past where really good plans and new entrants just fall at the last hurdle of getting capital. That's really interesting, isn't it? You know, I would never have thought, I always think, well, this is a capital intensive business. The very first thing you know about insurance is it's a money business. And if you don't have any money, you can't do it. I thought it was quite interesting. John Neal's comment in the press last week, I think it was about really looking for the members' capital yes, really interesting. Uh, to increase as well. And I think we've definitely seen a resurgence of people going back round that route and having you know names on the syndicate. It's, it's odd, isn't it? There's perhaps in the 30 years that names capital has completely declined. I mean, coming up for 30 years of reconstruction, you're not far off. That form of capital, Lloyd's, was 100% high net worth market before that. And now it's probably only 10% high net worth market. But of course, in that period, high net worth, there are more high net worth people in the world than there ever were before. There are billionaires everywhere. You look, it seems odd that we haven't been tapping them for an efficient form of capital, a very loyal form of capital as well. Yeah. And I think maybe that's a shortage of the right structure for them to get in because kind of coming in as a name is very complicated. Yeah. Setting up your own corporate members very complicated. And I know the members agents have been working on schemes and things to try and get that capital in. And obviously Lloyd's have been doing things like London Bridge as well, which will make that investment a more flexible and easier thing to do. Yes. Do you think we've been doing enough to make the London market an attractive place? I think Lloyd's have. I mean, I think Lloyd's and some of the initiatives around growth, around the captive framework, I think is really attractive. And we keep thinking there must be an end to the number of people who are interested in getting into Lloyd's. And it's interesting from the new entrant pipeline, there isn't, there is still such an appetite. They still see Lloyd's as that global brand license network and something that's really important for them to be a part of. I think the regulation or the perceived level of regulation can put people off and can drive them to other jurisdictions. But hopefully things like the Edinburgh reforms and and things like that, that are going through to try and simplify that impact of solvency too and regulation will really help reinforce. Yes, listen to previous episodes with Caroline Weichstaff and, and other members of the LMG to see how far we get on that. Yeah. But yeah, it's still all quite up in the air. We'll, we'll see. And of course, it, these things take years to actually change any kind of perception. And it's still not quite on the books yet, but it's not far off now. Obviously, your business, you manage syndicates, you manage syndicates that are in boxes, you manage special purpose arrangements, but also MGAs. And you did mention that the captive regime, when you're looking at all of that, which part of that business 
are you most pleased with? And you're thinking, when you're doing your budget for next year, and you're saying, well, you know, this is the one that's going to be growing gangbusters this year or whatever, or one you have more expectations of and the one, this other one think, well, that's going to be a quiet one. When you look at those five strands, which were you most happy with? I'd have to say all. And it's I a think good market, it, so you could easily be happy with all of them. And I think it is the going down the MGA route was always a bit of a diversification for us. So in a period when Lloyd's weren't growing as much and weren't as open to new entrants, then having that MGA platform meant we could still accommodate It's great timing because I think probably in this podcast in the last three years, that's been one of those questions that's been on my lips all the time is, wow, this wave has been huge. So you picked a good wave. Yeah, good timing. It's not, it's not showing any signs of faltering, is it? It doesn't seem to be, no. There's still a lot of interest out there. Again, the challenge perhaps for some of the new MGAs is the capacity piece. And I think why some of them hence want to make that transition to syndicate a box, they're then more in control of their own capacity. So they bear with you. They've already got that option sort of in your back pocket, really, so we could do this and we could do that. Yeah. What about captives? This is fascinating because I had to look at my history books. Smith Klein Beecham, which is now the SK part of Glaxo, Smith Klein or GSK, British Global Pharmaceutical Company, the captive regime is actually an old regime that's been on the books forever. And then someone dusted it off and gave it a bit of a shot in the arm in the last few years. Smith Klein did have a captive syndicate. This was the only one that I'm aware of. Maybe you'd know. I don't know if there was another one. But when do you think we're going to get the first one? It's quite exciting. Of course, it's a great time for captives, of course, in a really hard market difficult to find the coverage that you used to be able to get. Every risk manager in the world's tearing their hair out. And of course, Lloyd's has a fantastic global platform and has a captive regime that has been completely underused. Yeah, no, I think there's a great opportunity. I mean, it's something that I know Lloyd's have been working on intensively for the last couple of years. We've been involved quite closely with them in a lot of the discussions and kind of promoting that initiative. I'd love to say that in the you next know, six months or whatever, we <laughs> couldn't possibly say. <laughs> yeah. Always lots of discussions ongoing, but I think it will be interesting. Lloyd's are definitely very keen to get one in. And I think it feels like one of those things, once there's one, and particularly if that's a relatively kind of big name, household name or whatever, then it really will start to come in. We've been doing a lot of marketing, so work Active Forum and things like that. And it's amazing how much interest the kind of renewed dusting down of the model, as you said, well, just how much interest thing, there because is. You're not going to need much fronting no. when you've got 183 licenses or whatever it is. It's difficult to that's top the them real up. attraction. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when you're talking to captives, that's the really attractive piece for them is they don't have to use the fronting piece. It reduces their costs. It just makes them generally more efficient and more economic. And then as you say, you combine that with the hard market and what they're paying for those insurances externally. And it should be good for lawyers, I one presume, because it's, it's bringing business into a sphere of influence, into an ecosystem. Because again, you could then have relationships with Lloyd syndicates. You could buy your reinsurance within the Lloyd's market. You could do all sorts of things that you might not have thought of doing yeah. before, once you're in this yeah. environment. And while the captives themselves may be relatively small in terms of GWP, as you say, it might bring some of those big players that are not currently associated with the market in and just kind of help the overall growth and support in the ecosystem. With the MGA business, I've had a few people on the show being actually quite open, saying that they expect to get squeezed in this market. Well, first, the reinsurers did get squeezed because their retro costs went up quite sharply. And at the beginning, they weren't able to pass it on. They've now unsqueezed themselves from that and reapplied a bit of muscle, particularly 1123, and now in these mid-year renewals that we've just come through. 
But that's not tend to be squeezing the insurers who, again, we're talking about headlines of rehardening and actually any of those increased reinsurance costs and obviously the higher retentions that they've had to bear are now being passed back on to original clients in insurance. But certainly I've had a feeling from MGAs that they do feel that they will be squeezed. Do you have that feeling, obviously, as a manager of so many of them? So, I mean, I think definitely, and, and particularly within the Lloyds market, there's been a big focus on expenses and acquisition costs and things like that. So, there's definitely kind of a squeeze on MGA um, commissions and, 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 and how all that works. We're definitely seeing it a bit, but I think those that have got the right business model, there's also MGAs are a bit more nimble than some of the bigger players are as well. And so, things like tech and actually making their own operating model leaner we've seen quite a few come where actually the squeeze on commissions is not really hurting the bottom line because they find other ways to offset that. And presumably and it's still a hard market for them as well and they can and, still sell higher premiums. Yes, yes. And it's really so that the biggest challenge we're seeing is that capacity piece and people getting the right capacity lined up. And I think that was more difficult again, maybe two or three years ago, because certainly in the Lloyd's market, if there was going to be growth, then it wasn't necessarily giving that capacity out uh, to MGAs. It was kind of syndicates focusing in on themselves and, and how they wanted to grow and how they wanted to address those remediation issues. One thing I want to ask you, I know you're not necessarily the world's expert on this, but it's been one of these things that become common currency in the marketplace. And certainly a lot of opinion pieces about it written in the press to say that Lloyd's really isn't the place to do reinsurance anymore. Presumably, you're not seeing a lot of people coming to you asking to do reinsurance startups in Lloyd's anymore. Does it chime with your own experience in terms of new entrants, particularly? Obviously, it's it's a great time to be a new entrant in reinsurance, but we don't seem to be seeing any. No. And as you say, there doesn't seem to be. I mean, it is something that's fallen away. So I think partly because of the performance issues and the remediation issues and the results over the last few years, then the reinsurers really took a hit. And you've had some quite big names pulling out of that. Blenheim, Kaelm, there's, there's been quite a few recently yeah. pulling out of that market. So it's definitely not seen as sort of flavour of the month within Lloyd's. And presumably any new startup could get different capital regimes elsewhere that are probably a bit more efficient for them. Potentially. And I think a lot of the big players as well have got different platforms, haven't they? So it's do they put that business in Lloyd's or don't they? And if it's going to help get the business plan through without that in it. I suspect Lloyd's want to retain a chunk of reinsurance business. You know, I would think they would still want to be seen as a home for that. And who knows, it, it kind of may start to increase again in the market, but it's not something we're seeing a whole influx of new entrants trying to do. So just in general, we should be expecting lots of activity on new startups. You've been able to keep going through the softer market, now you've got a harder market. Do you think we're going to be doing more this time next year? You'd have put on more business than you'd have done this year, more new entrants? We certainly won't put on more than we have this year, I don't think. I mean, we had for 22, that was a pretty extraordinary year for us. And we onboarded five syndicates in a box during the year. And we had two new syndicate launches at the end of 22 as well. So that was a real chunky growth. Generally, we'd expect to be onboarding one or two new clients a year. So doing seven in one year was fairly exceptional, but we're still seeing a huge amount of interest in the pipeline. And we've got two or three things burning along at the moment that may or may not come to fruition. Do you have a good hit rate? One presumes that once they've got through your hurdle, when you say yes to something, that probably means it's likely to get accepted on the 12th floor of law. Yeah. 
and you can never second guess and moods and appetites and things change. But yeah, I guess we pride ourselves on reputationally, we would not want to be taking anything to Lloyd's that we didn't think had a realistic chance of succeeding. So I guess roughly over the last quarter, we've seen something like 50 new business opportunities. And of those, 30 have gone straight away. Yeah. Thank you, but no thank you. We've got 17 of them sitting kind of in the hopper, waiting on more information before a decision is made. And there's only three of those 50 actually being progressed at the moment as good, strong opportunities. So it's, it's a fairly small hit rate in terms of what we see coming through the door, but we'd like to think it's a pretty much 100% hit rate on anything that we actually tried to launch. So you're in a fairly happy position. You could say that your business model is unstable, couldn't you? Because you depend on new entrants. And if there are no new entrants available, then you've got no new business. Yeah. I would say it's changed over the last three or four years. So I think three or four years ago, you'd be exactly right. If we didn't have new entrants, then gradually all of our existing clients would just kind of sail off into the sunset and and things like that. We've definitely seen a shift in kind of temperament and appetite for establishing your own managing agency. I think as the level of regulation goes up, as the implementation of new things, whether that's the Rio framework at Lloyd's, whatever it is, they just all add layers of complexity, specialist resources on things like conduct risk, ESG. And we're actually finding that client's appetite is really changing. So maybe eight years ago, it was always a three-year, 10-year now it's begun to be more like five, maybe even seven years. Because you've had some clients with, have stayed with you forever. Really. Yeah, some with no stated intention at all of setting up their own managing agency. Very happy to leave that regulatory piece and things. So I think the view of third party management is beginning to change slightly and becoming to be seen as a kind of longer term option, not in and out as quick as you can. Yeah, absolutely. Well, more power to you. I've come to the end of all the questions I was going to ask you, which seems incredibly fast. So maybe there's something we've missed. I can't think of anything particularly. (laughs) Well, in that case, Lorraine, it only remains for me to thank you for coming on the show and giving such an interesting view of the temperature around the Lloyd's market and where things are happening. But it sounds like things are happening everywhere. So we want to watch this space for new syndicates in boxes, new syndicates, captive syndicate, one hopes, sometime soon. And SPAs and other things in between, and of course, new MGAs. Yeah, absolutely. Very excited about what it might be that pops out the woodwork first. Well, we'll have to keep our eyes peeled in the press to see what the first is to happen. It sounds like we might be expecting activity on almost all these fronts. Yes, hopefully. I think there are things bubbling along on all of them. So we'll see what makes it all the way through. Thanks very much. Thank you. It's been really lovely to talk to you. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, Don't forget to subscribe or leave a like or a review or recommendation on whatever podcast platform you used to access this programme. These really help get the word out. Before we go, just a quick reminder that advertising slots are available here and in other places in the Voice of Insurance podcasts. Podcasting is the fastest growing medium and attracts a high quality audience of key decision makers. It's also an intimate medium where you, the listener, are right in the room with me and the interview subjects. Needless to say, that means it's a great way of getting your message out directly to an audience because you know you've got their full attention. It's also very cost-effective. So get in touch with Mark at thevoiceofinsurance.com to find out how you could be speaking directly to the industry. The Voice of Insurance is produced in association with Advantage Go. 
Release your underwriters to underwrite with Advantage Go's underwriting platform. Voice of Insurance is produced by me, Mark Gagan. Music was written by Anna Gagan and produced by Carlos Gagan. Check out more podcasts and written comment pieces at www.thevoiceofinsurance.com. Thank you.